Have you ever dreamed of one day owning your own business, but just don't know where to begin? Then you've tuned into the right show. On All Things Franchising, you will hear from top national franchisers, successful franchisees, attorneys, CPAs, and others who support this fast-growing business model. So grab a cup of coffee and pen and notepad because you will want to capture the invaluable information you hear on today's show. And now, here is your host, Linda Ballesteros. Hey folks, welcome to All Things Franchising. This is Linda Ballesteros. Thanks so much for carving a little bit of time out of your busy day to spend with me. So today we're talking about you know, the legal side of franchise. Recently read an article in Entrepreneur Magazine that went like this. You found a franchise that you feel you have a reasonable chance of, successful, of successfully owning. You have done your due diligence, but you have one more thing to do, and it has to do with the law. You need to do everything in your power to protect yourself legally, and there is only one way to do that. You need to hire an attorney. So today we have Peter Dosick as my guest. He is an attorney and he specializes in the franchise industry. He is a Franchise Times Legal Eagle and was the 2012 to 2013 chair of the Georgia Bar Association for Franchise Section. Help me in welcoming Peter to the show. Peter, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so excited to be on the call with you. Well, I'm excited as well, Peter, because, you know, after reading this article, I am thinking that I wonder how many people that are actually looking at a franchise, I wonder how many people actually let an attorney review it before they sign that 200-plus page FDV. So before we get started here, tell me a little bit about um, how you uh, got, became a specialist in franchise law. What attracted you to that, Peter? Sure. No, I'm glad to talk about those things. Um, and the way it sounds, to talk about the legal side, it does, I think people's eyes glaze over when they hear that. But I'll, I will do my right. best to make, make this exciting and informative because <laughs> I've, I've seen some things go wrong. I've seen some lessons, and I, I like to share mm-hmm. uh, what people can learn. So mm-hmm. I got into franchising somewhat by accident. Uh, I, I was an attorney at a big firm, and then at a smaller firm, I did I did general business work, I did finance, I did a lot of different business things. Had a chance, uh, job came open at, at, at a big brand known as Church's Chicken. Um, they needed someone who did franchising and real estate. I slightly exaggerated my accomplishments in those areas when I interviewed. Um, got, got, got the job, and, and found it. I really enjoyed working in the industry. A lot of people were great mentors to me, helped me learn both the legal side of things, but also the business side of things. And being an in-house attorney, I really got to see from the franchisor's perspective, you know, what the franchisor needs from franchisees, what it takes them to succeed, what, what things go wrong, and more importantly, how, how to deal with them, how to avoid them if possible, but if they do go wrong, how do, you, how do you deal with things? And so I've always used that perspective. I've worked with both franchisors and franchisees, mostly the franchisor side, but when I help someone buy a franchise, just having that perspective of what the franchisor is thinking, uh, what they can change, what they can't change, what they're worried about, what they not care about, 
um, it really, really makes it, it helps me give great value to the people I work with. Mm-hmm. All of those things sound really interesting to me because I don't know how flexible uh, the FDD is. And folks for you that are new to franchising or you're just uh, learning about franchising, the FDD is the Franchise Disclosure Document. That's the agreement between you and the franchisor. So let's talk a little bit about that, uh, Peter. In this document, what does the franchise, what is the franchise or required to disclose? Actually, let me start with a, a kind of an important distinction. Um, a lot of business folks like yourself will talk about the FDD, the franchise disclosure document, as the agreement. That, that drives the lawyers a little, little crazy. The, the disclosure document is a long, boring slog of a document that any franchisor has to hand out uh, information about their business, and, and it includes a copy, a sample copy of the franchise agreement that the franchisee would sign. So, so but to be, to be precise and technical, when you sign an agreement to be a franchisee, you're signing the franchise agreement, and which, which is separate from the disclosure document. Got it. Okay. Um, that, that, sorry, what was the question then? <laughs> I got, I yeah, got... <laughs> what, what is it that the franchisor is required to disclose in this document? Okay, yeah, so franchise law generally isn't telling the franchisor what they can or can't do with the business, or they can charge whatever fees they want, the contract term can be whatever they want, it can be very one-sided. The law is mostly about disclosure, and um, Every franchisor, it doesn't matter if it's McDonald's or a hotel or a maid service, they're all doing the same form document called an FDD, and it's all in the same format. The theory is that if I want to buy a pizza franchise, I can get the FDD from five different pizza franchises, and I'm comparing apples to apples. That's the theory. I don't think it works that well in practice because, this again, it's a long, boring slog of a document, and normal human beings, you know, who don't read these regularly, don't really understand a lot of what's in there, or don't really know where to focus. And that's where I help people, you know, here's what we need to focus on, here's what's sort of not important. But, yeah, the rules are really particular. I mean, they literally say that they have to put the word franchise disclosure document at the top of the first page in all capital letters. So, so if you look at the FCD and, oh, wow, this looks like a very one-size-fits-all document, well, that's, and they all look the same, that, that, that's right. That's how they're supposed to look. Um, so the franchisor has to provide this information. It includes legal stuff about the name of their company, their address, their location, information about the different officers, what does it cost to get started uh, in the franchise, um, has financial statements that, that must be audited, uh, has, has uh, how many stores there are, where are they located, who are the franchisees, if you want to call them, here's their phone numbers, who are the people that left the system the past year and their phone numbers which is even more important if you want to talk to some people before you buy a franchise. So, yeah, it's chock full of information, but it's just sort of hard to wade through and figure out what's, what's most useful. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, is that I wonder how many people um, that are purchasing a franchise actually review that 200-plus page document. When, when you're working with someone and one of the steps that I always recommend my clients to do is to have an attorney review the document. What specifically are you looking for, Peter? Yeah, so most, I'd say most franchise buyers don't have an attorney. 
you know, definitely more in some brands than others. It depends on kind of how much money you're putting in and what type of business it is. But a lot of people do it without an attorney. And that's somewhat understandable because the thing really generally isn't negotiable. Like you could spend a couple thousand dollars on an attorney and then you're still getting the same document you're going to sign anyway. So, and it is hard as a franchise attorney helping someone as a buyer. It's hard for me to make it a good value, right? That they're paying me money to help them with this thing. Um, and if I, you know, don't really give good value for that, then I haven't done my job. But it's a 200-page document. Now, I can read it in 20 minutes because, like I said, they're all kind of the same. And I know exactly mm-hmm. what to look for. Um, mm-hmm. but, but even then, to try, because lawyers tend to work on an hourly rate, and we try and you know, make sure we're giving value. The way we do it, we have sort of two different um, uh, service offerings. One, we do a kind of a flat rate where, hey, we're going to read this thing. We're going to explain it to you, let you know kind of what issues there are, any red flags we see. But we're not going to negotiate. And look, if it's a... 100 units or more, they're not going to be negotiating. If it's a big brand, you know, they can explain right. things, they can talk to you, but they're not going to really make changes for right. any one person typically. They you know, a smaller brand, a startup brand, you know, if you're bringing something to the table that they really need, um, yeah, there's some parts that where you can push back and, and negotiate. Um, you know, and for that, we typically do either on a flat rate but a higher number um, or even sometimes on an hourly basis. My usual recommendation, you can sometimes see when someone's buying a franchise, you get an attorney who doesn't know franchising, um, and they will look at this thing. And this is what I did the first time I read a franchise agreement. Uh, it was for a Moe's franchise. Remember them? They're, they're still around. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. This was about 15 years ago. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. Who would, who would sign this thing? It's very one-sided. Um, you know, I had a bunch of changes, and Moe's was like, no, we're not changing it. Um, and... and, and <laughs> You know, I had to, I had to you know, tell the client, ah, don't, don't pay that bill because, you know, uh, it's doing it good for you and it's probably scaring you a lot. Um, so sometimes people will do that when I'm on the other side. I'll get 50 comments. And if it's a brand that's willing to negotiate, we'll go back and say, hey, pick five things. Pick a few important things. We'll go. We'll, we'll make, make some changes. Um, mm-hmm. And I do recommend, you know, if it is a smaller brand uh, and they're not willing to need to listen to you and, and possibly negotiate a few points, that's kind of a bad sign that they're, you know, yeah. this is the most chance they're going to listen to you, and if they don't listen to you now, when, when will they? Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, it's still, you know, the way it works is franchisees always got a system. Franchisees' job is to execute it with their money and at their risk. So no matter how mm-hmm. many changes I can get to a franchise agreement, it's still fundamentally that's the way it's going to work, right? If the right. franchisor says, hey, we're changing the menu. You've got to change the menu. That's just, that's just right. not, that's something you get to argue about. And that, because right. most people, it's franchise, I understand. They need to have it. Um, we need it to be consistent and uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then a lot of things in the franchise agreement, I will tell you, they're almost, they may seem really one-sided, but in a sense, they kind of protect the franchisee. So, for example, a, a lot of franchise agreements, the ones I write, will say, if someone gets a, accused of a felony or some other bad act, they can be terminated. And sometimes people say, well, that's not fair. I've been convicted. I've just been, you know, con- uh, accused of something. And we always say, well, no, no, we know you won't do something bad. So if that other franchisee down the street gets arrested for, for, for child molestation, you don't want yeah. us to wait three years before we can terminate him. Well, okay, he goes to trial. You want us yeah. to protect the brand today and, you know, terminate this person. Um, so, yeah, and the franchise are doing doesn't want to terminate people. You kind of rely on the fact that they want you to be open and operating. That's how they make their money. Right. Um, 
So, so yeah, it's, it's a leap of faith, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Uh, the franchise yeah. the lawyer can really help you understand what you're getting into, help identify their experience, they can understand what's kind of normal in franchising versus some things that aren't normal. Um, I recently did a deal where there was a fee called trying to negotiate the franchise agreement fee. And we're like, no, we're not, that's not fair. <laughs> I've never, no one right. else does that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, so we look at things that would be out of the ordinary for franchising. And a lot of it is explaining to our clients on the franchise. Okay, this is look scary, but it is normal. Um, mm-hmm. Give you another example. Mm-hmm. There's always a paragraph that says, hey, if the franchisee comes up with some new product, a new invention that's owned by the franchisee automatically, they don't pay the franchisee for it, it's, it's, their, it's their property. That strikes people as unfair, but again, it really protects everybody. Because if one franchisee has a great idea, they all get to share. They all get to use. Sure. It. And the other franchisees yep. aren't paying a royalty to that that one person. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so we try to focus yeah. on also. I, I generally don't go out and kill a deal as a lawyer, you know, especially if it got referred to me by a, by a consultant. Um, but I'll let people hear some red flags we see. Uh, here's occasionally I've seen ones where I tell people, hey, this is just run away from this. So if you're hiring a lawyer, make sure if you understand is that the lawyer's job or not. Is their job to right. run away from this thing? Is their job to, hey, you're doing this, you know, I'm going to try and give you, make sure you understand what you're getting into. Um, yeah, yeah. And so it's kind of because what that. you want from your attorney if you hire somebody. Mm-hmm. You want them to point yeah. out red flags. You want them to, to because look, any business is scary. I, I, I can convince anyone not to buy any franchise. Right. <laughs> right. I, I really want to right. get the heck out of somebody. Um, right, right. Peter, let me ask you this. Um, I recently had a commercial uh, insurance agent on the show, and we talked a bit about um, how the pandemic may have changed the way some policies are written, in specific um, business interruption. So do you see that there, because of the pandemic, Will there be different language expected in an FDD or in an agreement to help protect a franchisee or a franchisor, either case? Yes, and I'm seeing that start to happen. And I can tell you it's, it's being written by the franchisor lawyers. Keep in mind how to protect the franchisor. And, and uh-huh. that's kind of just generally how franchise agreements evolve year to year. Something went wrong. Some new thing came up. So the franchisor's lawyers, they tweak the agreement. It always sort of just naturally tends to get a little more one-sided every, you know, every time. You know, for the franchisor, I'm not, the lawyers kind of come up with these crazy scenarios and want to protect their, the franchisor. Um, you know, but most franchise brands, again, they're paying a royalty on sales. If the franchisee's sales go down because they're, you know, the pandemic or they're closed because of the pandemic, yeah, then the, mm-hmm. the royalties are going to go down. But mostly I've seen franchisors, they look at what the legal document says, then they look at what, what's going to work for the system. How do we help the franchisees succeed? Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in the legal agreement that here's what they, they can do, um, but that's very different from what, they're, what the policies they're going to do and what they're going to do for, for, their, for the franchisees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, and the the bottom line is I want to support the brand for sure. So if um, if waiving, and I've heard of some franchisors waiving those royalties for three months or for a period of time or reducing them uh, just to take some of the financial burden off of the franchisees, if that's the right thing to do, then they do that. It doesn't make any difference what the agreement says. 
So they can still make those changes on, on the fly, can't they? Absolutely. And I was involved in a number of conversations with franchisors about what do we do. And look, it was a short-term thing. At least it was, it was right. that a few months ago. Um, you know, if the fundamental business is sound and it you know, needs a short-term break, then, yeah, that, that, that would make sense. But it also affected the franchisors. I, I knew people that got laid off for, for a load at big franchise headquarters because, you know, they weren't, the money wasn't coming in. Um, right. So it's, t- it's tough all around, yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, absolutely. So, um tell me a little bit about how you work with uh franchisors. Um, you know, when you're working with them on the legal side, I say I come to you and I have this great idea, Peter. I want to franchise my widget because I know that this widget will be franchised around the world. Of course, people come in with a lot of passion about it. How do you take how do you bring them into reality? Yeah. Well, the first thing I do is listen, you know, understand mm-hmm. what, where are people coming from? What, what are their concerns? What are their objectives? Um, and my job is to help them, you know, uh, help them understand what the legal needs, but also kind of a business point of view. How do they, how do they achieve those objectives? Um, you know, I, I sometimes like to say all the entrepreneurs are, are a little bit crazy, you know, if, yep. if they were if they're rational, they'd go be accountants or, or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I, you know, I understand that. There's all my clients, franchisors, franchisees. They're all fascinating people. They're all willing to take some risks, but they all want to manage this risk and they want to understand how to maximize their chance of succeeding. So, as the mm-hmm. lawyer, it kind of depends where, again, where are they in the process? How much do they know about franchising? How much education do they need? My, my role is to partly create a solid foundation to build that franchising on top of, make sure they're doing it, everything right that they need to get done to protect them, to create a system where, you know, everyone's going to succeed because otherwise if, if not, um, you know, the, the stuff doesn't work. Um, mm-hmm. So we help with that. We draft that franchise disclosure document. We have a trade. It takes two to three months typically. I mean, there's a lot of information to gather. And I like to tell clients, hey, wait, with that big document, Hey, if you had nothing else to do and I had nothing else to do and you had all the answers, you know, we could knock it out in a couple of days. But a lot of mm-hmm. it is partly figure out what don't they know yet? What do they still have to mm-hmm. figure out? I had a good conversation mm-hmm. with a new startup franchisor yesterday. Um, they got to figure out the point of sale system because the one they've got works for their company stores, integrated to online sales, won't work as they grow. Do they have to start mm-hmm. over? How do they, you know, what, what are they going to do about this? Um, I, I like to tell franchisor clients, new ones, that, hey, every deal I work on, there's always one new thing I've never seen before, but 99% of what they're running into, this is what we do all day. These are the issues we solve. Um, We we prevent these issues from happening. There's there's things in the franchise agreement I'm putting in there that you don't realize you need this until five years down the road when some issue comes up, and I can point to this issue, this language, say, hey, we anticipated this problem. Here's here's what we can do about it. So Mm -hmm. we help them both you know, comply with the legal requirements. But the more fun part for me is really helping them succeed, understanding not just what does the law require, what does it take to succeed in this business. Um, mm-hmm. The thing I like to say, and I'm a little bit off uh, the limb here, um, the bigger ones especially sort of take a private equity view of like every unit open generates X dollars and that's my cash flow and that's how they see franchisees as units of cash flow. More successful franchisors will look at the franchisees as partners, right? That, yes, mm-hmm. the contract says I own everything, but we have to grow and succeed together. 
I encourage mm-hmm. franchises to even take it a step further and look at those franchises like they're your customers, right? Because you know, a happy customer will grow and invest and stay with you and, and, and promote your brand. An unhappy customer, uh, hey, if someone calls your franchisees and say, hey, I want to invest in this brand, what do you think? I want to be a franchisee. And these franchisees say, say, no, run away. They're crooks. They're horrible. What? You know, um, yeah, you're stuck. So, so mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't say hey, the customer's always right. It's, I don't mean that kind of attitude, but if you really come in, and, you know, I've got two sets of customers, my brand. I've got the people that come in the door and order pizza or whatever the product is. But my franchisees are customers too, and, and mm-hmm. I've got to keep them happy. And that's, mm-hmm. that's how I make it. It's not a whole, you know, kumbaya, you know, type thing. It's, this is a smart business decision to make sure your franchisees are happy and profitable. Well, you know, Peter, I believe that 100% because um, as a retail customer, I don't want to be seen as a number. And mm-hmm. as a franchisee, I don't want my franchisor to see me as a territory. I want yes. to be seen as you know, like you said, a partner. I'm here to help you grow your brand and be successful in, in myself um, at my location as well. But I think that's a really good point that you bring up to make sure that from the beginning that they, they, don't, they don't have to invite them to the family reunion. That's not, that's not at all what I'm saying either. But mm-hmm. I certainly don't want to be uh, referred to as the Houston franchise. Uh, I, you know, I want to be seen as, um, yeah, as part of this point. company. So, uh, so tell me a little bit, Peter. You know, there are franchises out there that at some point that franchisee says, you know, I've put in my time with this and I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to retire, or for whatever reason, they want to sell that. Is reselling a franchise different? than purchasing a brand new territory? Yes. Good, good question. Um, absolutely. You know, it, 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 it's, it's a great way to get into a franchise in the right circumstances. I was just on the phone call this morning with a, a friend and potential client who that's what she's looking at doing. Should she buy one? Should she, should she build from scratch? And look, it, 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 sometimes there's chances to buy into an existing franchise where it would cost less to buy one. This actually happens quite often in restaurants because that initial build-out can be pretty expensive. Sometimes the second-generation buyer can just get a great deal. You know, buy mm-hmm. a restaurant that's already cash-flowing and then go less than it costs to build one um, without all the risk and hassle and time building out a store. Um, and then if the store isn't performing well, it's a very simple question. It's the reason it's not performing well is because is it the, the owner wasn't running it or is it just the only or the problem is it's just in a bad location or it's a bad model? Right. I think you can do right. better than that existing owner. That's a chance to really, really do well for yourself. Understanding mm-hmm. guys, what was the root cause of why was that store failing? Oh, well, there was a problem because the, the store is in Atlanta and the owner's in Houston. You know, I think a mm-hmm. guy who's mm-hmm. present here could do very, do much better. But yeah, you have to yeah. understand why is someone selling it. Um, some some buyers prefer to you know look at ones that are doing badly and want to do a turnaround. Other buyers mm-hmm. want to get one that's really running really well today and just mm-hmm. you know, keep doing that. It really depends on kind of what is your personality, your skill set. Um, you know, buying a turnaround can, can be a little more risky. Um, mm-hmm. but, so it's like any small business purchase with a few extra things involved. You know, um, you have to get the franchise or approval. 
there's mm-hmm. there's you know fee to the franchise or you have to go to training. Um, I've had a couple of deals that kind of came to me that kind of got screwed up because you know oh, we're going to buy this business you know next week. I'm like no you're not because you got to go to the training program first. Um, right. So yeah, just just working with an experienced attorney who's been through that before um, and understands kind of what what the steps are of you know the landlord approval, you know, getting your financing together, all the different things that need to need to happen to to mm-hmm. uh, buy a business. One thing I love about buying an existing franchise compared to buying any other existing business. Uh, normally, when you you buy, uh, I'm going to buy a, a, a restaurant. I can go in and do an inspection, and then I can argue with a seller about you know, hey, this thing is broken or this thing isn't working or, you know, then keep arguing some more about the purchase price, who's going to cover it. When you buy a franchise, you can call the franchise door and say, hey, come do an inspection. Tell me what does not meet brand standards. And then, you know, you've got a very clear list of what needs to fix. And then you oh, can have wow. an argument with the seller about what needs to get fixed and who's going to cover yeah. it. And I'll tell you, when yeah. I've been in the house and look at this franchise door, we often struggle to tell people, no, before you buy this business, you got to you know, there can be some things that we may need to get fixed. Um, so when I help someone buy a business and we proactively call the franchise over and say, hey, please come, you know, we're buying the business. It's part of that. Please take a look at it. Tell us what needs to get fixed. The franchisor love that. And it makes their life easier. And then when you, and so it, it just works out great for everybody. And it's just stuff that people, people tend not to think about if they haven't bought franchises before. Yeah, I can I can certainly see that because um, you know if someone buys it, they don't know it's broken until yeah. it or, doesn't work, and the franchisor goes, uh, "That's not the way you're supposed to do that." Yeah, or it may everything be in perfectly good condition, but it's no longer the current brand image. And okay, now yeah. we have a different logo, and go spend fifteen thousand dollars on a new sign and new flooring and everything. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and that's real unfortunate if you step into that situation. Um, but you, I mean, it should obviously the franchisor should should tell you what sure. you need to do, um, yeah. but you don't want to get caught off guard after you buy buy the business. Right, exactly, exactly. Peter, we need to take a quick commercial break, and I love hearing stories. Do you happen to have a story or two you could share with us when we come back from commercial break? Sure, I've got a story or two for you. <laughs> I bet you do. So, folks, we will be right back with more from Peter Dosick after this commercial. House Talk Radio. Join Tony and Wendy Gambone on House Talk Radio, where they talk all things house. From tips on home repairs and remodeling to best practices on buying and selling a home, hiring contractors, home loans, and insurance, as well as decorating ideas and how to get the most bang for your buck. If you would like more information about House Talk Radio, go to housetalkradio.com. Do you know a family fighting cancer? The Jest Foundation nonprofit was founded right here in Katy, Texas, by cancer survivor Michelle Perzan, whose vision is to assist those currently fighting by providing grants to help support family needs, whether spiritually, emotionally, or financially. Michelle and her family know all too well that there comes a time when the day-to-day needs we take for granted become impossible. Jest Foundation has been able to bless 100% of the applications submitted, and now they need your help. Find out more by going to JustFoundation.org. Are you dreaming of owning your own business but just don't know where to begin? The wait is now over. 
Linda Ballesteros is a catalyst to becoming a business owner through franchising. Whether you are looking to create a living that will allow you to leave corporate America, change your lifestyle, allowing you to enjoy the fun things in life, or if you're looking to build a legacy that will support your family for years to come. Contact Linda today to start the process of being your own boss. Linda at EmpowerFranchiseConsulting.com, 832-640-4922. Hey, folks, welcome back to All Things Franchising. This is Linda Ballesteros, and I'm here today with Peter Dosick, which is, who is an attorney that specializes in franchising. So, Peter, I ask if you happen to have some stories that you can share with us. You bet. Um, I, I do want to talk about a, a, a brand I worked with uh, recently, Sold, um, did well, not great. You know, wasn't you're not going to read about it in the papers as someone you know made fifty million dollars, retired, you know, bought an island, um, but did did well. But had had kind of what I would consider the typical issues um, in, in growing their business, uh, issues that affected both franchisees and the franchisor. Um, and, and I'm really proud of the way they they dealt with things um, and ran a great business. But, you know, they had, had struggles along the way, just like any business would. Um, and the, one of the things that, that surprised the owner quite a lot, so he was running a small business for 10, 15 years before he kind of took the plunge and, and, and franchised it. Uh, and it was a service business, had both a retail component, mobile component. Um, one thing he found with the folks that came to him, a lot of them came through franchise consultants, were smart people, a corporate executives, formerly corporate executives, uh, accomplished, had not run a small business before. And he had a bit of a culture shock with people who, who didn't understand how to read a P&L for a small business. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the owner, he'd done this all his life, right? Running a small business, you know, looking at the P&L every month and understanding, you know, what is your labor? What is your uh, uh, rent? The, the different metrics you can look at. And so he, he was surprised that the amount of time he spent uh, educating some of his franchisees on stuff he hadn't realized he needed to teach people. And so he definitely adjusted his training program. Um, you know, in response to that. And just I see a lot of brands, you know, the franchise agreement always says, hey, the franchisee must submit a P&L to the franchisor. And a shocking number of brands don't collect them. Uh, ones that do collect them, a lot of times the franchisees you know, don't like giving that out. They, they kind of, you know, try to avoid it. Uh, I tell franchisees, and I recommend them, yes, definitely give them your P&L. I mean, how, how can they help you improve mm-hmm. if they're not seeing the financials uh, and not seeing them regularly and in real time, and especially as the system grows, you can learn so much from, from hey, my labor is higher than everybody else. Or you right. know, we can look at this one guy's sales, a particular product you're higher, what is he doing right? That's one of the huge um, strengths of franchising is that you could have, whether it's five or 10 or 500 different units that can be learning from each other. I think every franchise brand should have a mentor system. You know, right? When mm-hmm. I help them buy franchise, I say find a mentor, find a franchisee who's doing what you're doing, has made these mistakes already, done these things wrong already, and then you don't have to make those mistakes. Um, mm-hmm. Some brands mm-hmm. kind of don't like franchisees having a franchise association or getting together. They're afraid the franchisees will gang up on them and, and, and create mm-hmm. an adversarial relationship, which can happen. But you know what, I think if, if an adversarial relationship isn't caused by the fact that the franchisees have an association, it's caused That's by the correct. problem yep. that people have yep. reacted to. Um, and, yep. and 
for most brands, a franchise association, franchisee group is great. And I really support mm-hmm. doing that. And I think franchisees both formally and informally should be communicating with each other um, and, and communicating with the franchisor about you know, here's the issues we're solving, we're doing. And if other people have these issues, um, you can spot up trends faster by talking to each other, um, spot opportunities faster, and, and avoid, avoid problems. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another lesson this franchisor learned, um, you know, they, 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 they took on some people who weren't, you know, maybe didn't have enough financial resources to do it. Um, I think they struggled a bit. Their, their business model changed some, which is always true. Right? Business models should always be evolving, always being improving. But they may have started a bit early um, where they had one unit. Um, maybe they weren't really, uh, you know, had not had enough different units around to say, oh, this works and this doesn't work in terms of what our business model is. So that varied a bit. Um, you know, and, and the guy, he did, it wasn't his goal to, you know, build it up big and, and sell it, and that's good, but also he maybe made some choices that if he had thought about selling in the future, might have done a few things a little differently. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just, it was just a great experience, and he's, you know, he's very proud of the, the franchise he built, and he's got a lot of franchises who are doing, doing very well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things that I see is that um, – a, a, a brand new emerging brand, uh, a new abor- uh, an emerging brand, sometimes doesn't have the expertise in being a franchisor, so they have a learning curve as well. And what you mentioned that is, is that, is so that true. Yes. their business model and their business uh, systems they do need to evolve. But it can't look like you're a serial dater and just jumping from one CRM to the other CRM because it causes a bit of chaos among the few franchisees you have, and that's where you can have some problems. And it's, 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 you know, it can feed on itself. If things aren't working out, you gotta well, yeah. you better you know try a different strategy. But how do you know what's the right strategy and where do you mm-hmm. go? But you're absolutely right. I, when I, someone talks about they want to start franchising their system, one thing I tell them is hey, all that blood, sweat, tears, money, <laughs> risk, you know, that you put into starting your business, well, you're going to do it all over again because now you're doing a different business. Now yep. you're franchising, you know, not, not yep. operating. And they go together. It definitely it, – I, I love with – especially with the bigger brands, I like to see ones that can both operate that restaurant or whatever it is and be a franchisor makes me a little nervous if someone's just purely franchising because they don't mm-hmm. really understand the day-to-day trenches as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but yeah, it, it's, it's a different business model being a franchisor or yeah. being, being an operator. Yeah. Definitely. Um, Peter, we're coming down to the end of the show. If someone's listening right now and they are thinking, I think this guy has the, the answers to my questions, whether it's from a franchisor or a franchisee's perspective, how would they get in touch with you? How would they find out more information about you? Yeah, well, the easiest thing is to Google my name, Peter Dosick, D-O-S-I-K. There's only two of us on the planet. I'm the one that's a lawyer. The, the one that owns a jewelry shop in Boca is the other Peter Dosick. Um, so, <laughs> and that's yeah, not so a our, franchise. And that's not a yeah, franchise. That's <laughs> not a franchise, no. Um, yeah, so our, our law is it's Shite Dosick Law. My partner's last name is Shite, so S-H-I-T-E-D-O-S-I-K, law.com. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just type Peter Dosick, and that's probably the, <laughs> the best way to, to find me anytime. Yeah. 
Wonderful. So we're down to those final three questions, Peter. The first one uh-huh. is, if there is someone listening who's considering purchasing a franchise, what would you suggest that they do to prepare for the process? So if they're just preparing for the process, um, it, it's a lot of education. I would definitely say talk to someone like you because um, you're an expert in helping people. Uh, it's, 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 they're at a point where they don't even know what they don't know. If they're just starting right. to think about franchising, uh, an expert like yourself can really help them understand what understand themselves, understand their opportunities, understand what uh, you know what, what's the best fit for them. Because uh, it's a big investment to buy into a franchise; it's life changing, um, and so Absolutely. you want to be prepared as much as possible. Yeah, most definitely. And when you say life changing, it is life changing. So you have to really understand what what you want your lifestyle to look like and find the franchise that fits that. It's not a matter of finding a franchise and say, oh, well, we'll just figure it out. That's not the way it yeah. goes. That's a, that's a recipe for disaster as far as I'm concerned. So the second question here is, what are two traits that make a successful franchisee? I was told, I never confirmed, that when I was at Church's Chicken, they'd done a study two years before over which franchisees they had that were successful and which ones weren't, what was the difference? Um, and then this story was repeated to me like four times. I don't know if it's even true, but it, it sounds so true. I, I figure it is. But they figured out the two traits, and there's only two, that differentiated the successful franchisees were, one, they had enough money, and two, they knew how to run a restaurant, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. which is obvious mm-hmm. when you think about it. Um, but yeah. it makes sense, right? Like, like if you, you have the most fantastic business model in the world, but if you can't afford – for the ups and downs, and yep. the, the, you know, I mean, planning for a pandemic is one thing, but just the general ups and downs, you got to have enough financial cushion for it. And then also knowing how to run a business certainly helps, right? Part of the mm-hmm. franchisor is they're going to teach you that more than, you know, if you start a restaurant on your own or whatever business it is. But, yeah, having prior experience helps. And if you don't have that experience, where can you go learn it on a crash course? You know, there, there, sure. who, can you, who can you teach it from? The franchisor may not, you know, they may not teach you how to fry the chicken um, or yeah. some of the day-to-day stuff. So, yeah, those are the, yeah. those are the two traits. Yeah, 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 very very good. So the final, the final question is, you've been in franchising for a while, a lot of different uh, roles in that. So what do you see the future of franchising look, look like? Yeah, I think the future is it's sort of more of the same in the sense that it's a very successful business model. That people works for a lot of people and businesses. It's solving a lot of problems. So I think it's going to keep, you know, growing and expanding. People will try to, you know, franchise in different models. Uh, some things will work, some things won't. But um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I believe in the, the business model, uh, franchising in general, and I just love seeing the way some some people, uh, you know, achieve their dreams through it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, Peter, one more time. If someone's listening, how do they find out more about you? Yeah, sure. You can find us at Peter Dosick, D-O-S-I-K. My number, 404-429-7814. And find our website is shipedosick.com, S-H-I-P-E-D-O-S-I-K.com. And and I we love to talk about franchising with anybody, anytime. I don't charge. If someone wants to call me up and have a chat or have some questions or wants to spend, spend time, I'd love to do that. 
Very good. Peter, thanks so much for being on this show today. You know, you brought a, a fresh look at the legal side of franchising. If that's possible, you did it, Peter. I'm so happy that I had the chance to, to be on your show. Yes, most definitely. Same here, same here. So, folks, I hope you were taking some notes, whether you are on the franchisee side or the franchisor side. Um, Peter really gave some good information, and um, I'm sure that you can benefit from that. So I will be leaving you with this quote. As always, I leave you with a quote. This is by an unknown author. You know, I've always wondered, could I take those unknown quotes and put my, oh, I would never do that. I've got an attorney listening in here. So the quote is, be strong enough to, to stand close, I'm sorry, be strong enough to stand alone, smart enough to know when you need help, and brave enough to ask for it. Thanks again, folks, for being with me on All Things Franchising. And I'll see you next time. Another great episode of All Things Franchising is now in the books. You can listen to past shows by following All Things Franchising on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for joining us today. And be sure not to miss us next time when we bring you a brand new episode of All Things Franchising.